one of the things that it's neat to see is our church has turned eight years old and our kind of big dream and vision is to um, be a local and global kind of church at the same time. And so we pray for the nations and we, we get involved in uh, different seminaries and ministries across the world. And you see that in the bulletin and we support them and pray for them and they come and um, and then even, um, you know, trying to reach our neighbors in Orange County. Uh, we started in Brea. We're here now, and we want to share the gospel. And really with a belief that the gospel changes us on the inside, and then it changes the way we act and behave. And not sometimes if we've been to church a long time, we're so concerned about the behavior on the outside. You know, don't say that at church. You hear that often, right? Don't talk like that. You're at church. Or don't say that. Well, you know, we don't want you to just fake it on Sunday but we want to see everyone changed from the inside out as the gospel changes our identity, who we are. And um, it's a, a, just the progress that's happening. And so it's um, neat to do this, to need to see our church being blessed by God and seeing all of you here. Um, and I want to encourage you to be part of the kingdom work, um, to continue to pray, continue to be a part of it, uh, be involved in people's lives. You know, I'm going to ask you to continue to give. Uh, to give in a generous way, to pray in big ways with big dreams, um, and to serve in sacrificial forms. You know, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, I had a chance to attend a conference. And uh, it's a church planters conference called Exponential. And at this conference are uh, a big uh, thousands of church planters, and you get to hear stories. And it was a, a very high-powered gathering in a way where the energy was super high, People are changing the world, with, and there's big churches, small churches, non-existent churches with the pastors who are there. And one thing I took away from that is, man, we're, we're in this big movement. You know, sometimes we gather on our own, and we don't see all of that. Um, and sometimes we say, oh, well, what, what can I do? I can't change the world. Um, but we're part of something big, and uh, you, I want you to just be active in it and know that we're sharing um, God's love throughout this world that needs it so much, don't they? And so uh, just keep that in mind as we do this. Even this Billy Beast things is our church in Brea and our church in Irvine. We're going to kind of clash and gather over there, um, take over that place, and the kids are going to have fun. But a, an opportunity to invite a friend, uh, and, you know, the kids on their soccer team or dance class, ballet, whatever, just bring them out, invite them out, buy them their tickets, five bucks, say, hey, I'll, I'll buy these tickets for you, come on out, and um, and they make some friends, and they'll start coming to church, and they hear and learn the gospel. And so uh, we want to be very intentional about everything, and we want you to be intentional about it as well. So please keep those things in uh, your thoughts and prayers. You know, uh, uh, today I'm going to be talking to you about um, this idea of encouragement. You know, the Bible, in the passage that we read, uses the word to refresh, right, um, that uh, Onesiphorus often refreshed. Uh, and this idea of encouragement that's mentioned here uh, in this text. Paul is in prison. Paul is struggling. He's literally in chains. He writes this letter and he talks about the people who abandoned him. Uh, Fugelis, right? Hermogenes. He talks about those people and the people in the church in Asia that had abandoned him. But someone who stuck by, that stuck by him, Onesiphorus, who is there, he names him by name. It calls God's blessing upon him. says how uh, it has affected him in big ways. And Think of someone in your life, right, that has been 
an encourager. And all of us might have someone. Maybe when we were in grade school till now, where someone, and maybe it's a, your spouse, and maybe they're, they're the ones that encouraged you, that said you could do, they trusted in you, they believed in you, and it affected you. You know, the words that we hear, um, sometimes even as a little kid, it changes the trajectory of our lives, the things that we believe in, you know. And so the vocabulary that someone says when they've been encouraged is, is things like, I can do this, I'm ready for the challenge, you know, and I know it's tough, but I, I want to go and do this. Versus someone who's been discouraged or put down. Because it's easy to know that someone that puts, points out our flaws, when we already know them, we're very aware, and someone that points it out to us, and you, think, and you start thinking, like, well, I can't do anything, you know. I, I, you know I'm going to give up on this. This is not going to work. Um, and we, we encounter three groups of people in our lives, right? The biggest group that we encounter are the neutrals. They don't encourage us. They don't discourage us. They're just kind of there. And most people are kind of in that category that we meet. The second category that we meet, I think, are the, the negatives, right? They're the ones that really point out the things we already know and are self-conscious about. You know, what, why does your nose look like that? Or, you know, why, why, why are you looking, why do you sound like that? Or, you know, um, boy, how come you're, you're not good at this? And you're like, I already know. Can you not point that out, please? But, uh, you know, just in case you didn't know, let me point that out. You know, they're the negatives. And so, unfortunately, some of us had them as, as there were grown-ups that were negatives in our lives. And there were uh, peers who were negatives. There are people who are negative now, maybe at the workplace. And you just want to avoid them. You just want to avoid these negatives. They, they kill your dreams. They stress you out. And, you know, there might be the manager at work that's just the negative and critical. You just avoid them. That person at school, you just avoid them. And then the, probably the rarest group of people we meet are the positives. They encourage you. They lift up your spirit. They're always smiling. They're telling you things that are great and positive, And it helps you to go. Um, it changes your life, literally. You know, my wife is a very encouraging person to me. She's what I call a uh, realistic encourager. Okay, so she's not just telling me stuff to tell me stuff. She tells me things. Um, and then she often corrects me as well. Um, and she, she points out all my blind spots and she guides me along. And, you know, speaking in public and, and pastoring a church and um, preaching like this is, is a very kind of delicate thing, right? Because you're, you're preparing all week. It's, and then you have a bunch of, you know, sometimes like uh, you know, and we say this at seminary, you have a bunch of amateurs that's going to come and decide if it was good or not. It's not like a seminary professor or a, you know, a pastor, but some people that haven't been to church in years are going to come and decide right then and there if that was good or not. It was very difficult. And so she'll often encourage me along, and she'll also be realistic. Like She's a school teacher. She's like, can you not say ain't? Like That's not a real word. It's like, please, you sound like you're in fourth grade. Don't say that. Can you, but, you know, it's good. And I remember when we were going to plant the church, and I was um, um, kind of with the last talk I had with my wife, I was like, should I, you know, should we do this? Should, should we plant the church? What do you think? Uh, and there's all these daunting facts, like 80% of church plants close. It's the, one of the hardest things. It's very difficult. Why, should we do this? And I remember talking to her and her saying to me, and this really changed my life. And she was like, if you don't do this, who in this world is going to do this? And she was like, you were born to do this. And literally it felt like they were like music, you know. <laughs> this is the scene from, and I was like, yeah, you know. And, and she was like, you were born to do this. And I was like, I love you. And, yeah. But um, we need that. It changes us. It affects us. God uses uh, people like that for us. And today I wanted to talk 
to you about being a, an encourager or a refresher uh, to someone. Um, the word that's mentioned here, refresh, it means literally to cool off uh, in a physical sense. You know, you're walking in the desert, you've been marching all day, and then you get to go and cool off in the shade. You know, and you've been working in the garden, it's 100 degrees, you get to go now inside the air-conditioned room. But it's more than just the physical cooling off or relief. It's a relief to the soul. That's what he's talking about here. To recover, to take a deep breath, to take a big sigh. It's like the release. Ah, you know, it's okay. When someone comes alongside of us, as Onesiphorus did to Paul, and says, hey, I'm here for you. You're going to make it. You know, it's that sigh. It helps us to keep going when it is so difficult. As we said, Paul's... Imprisoned people are deserting him. Um, and now Onesiphorus comes and he encourages him. And I want to break this up into kind of two parts in my message. The first part is these truths about encouragement. And we often overlook it. It's basic truths. And, and then the second part is how to be a better encourager, right, on our end. First part, the truth about, truths about encouragement. It's kind of four simple truths. Number one is um, it's needed much in important work, especially gospel work. It's much needed. You think about the gospel work. You think about, you know, church world. You think about um, building a small group up or whatever it is. When it's gospel work, uh, the misconception we often have, especially in Orange County church world, is it's fun. It's cool, right? Um, that, like, church is fun. Church is cool. Church is, you know, a, a fun place to be. Fun and cool is all, all okay, but generally speaking, the gospel work is very difficult, right? It's very costly. And, and for example, um, you know, in, in chapter 1, verse 8 in 2 Timothy that we went over before, but do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power. The whole theme here. The words that are used of suffering, don't be ashamed, and there's power that's needed to do this, prisoner for him. It's a very daunting task to go and further the gospel. So as Paul is trying to further the gospel, as they are trying to plant a church and now see people come to Christ, it's a big work. It's a difficult work, and we see that here. The second thing is that the impact, of, the second truth about encouragement is it impacts far more than we could see. The impact goes far greater. There are people you might have encouraged 10 years ago, and you might not even see them again, but they still hold on to that. Right? Don't we have people in our lives when we were maybe five, 10, 20 years ago, we say, that person made such an impact on me. We may not tell them, and they may not know, but it's still changing me today. It still affected me today. You think about Onesiphorus. Did he know? Did he understand that who Apostle Paul is really was going to be? Uh, arguably, arguably the most influential person in, in history, the one who wrote literally half, almost half of the New Testament letters, books, the one that, can you imagine all the slaves that were freed because of his writings, all the women's rights that were elevated to the same as men's because he said they were equal in their worth when the world said they were second-class citizens? Can you imagine the change he's made? Onesiphorus had no idea of this. He didn't know that the Apostle Paul was going to be so great. He didn't know that the Christian world is going to be changing the world for thousands of years because of him. 
He just went to go and encourage him. Maybe he had pity on him. And sometimes we go and talk to someone. Uh, we go and, and share with someone. We, we, we encourage someone. We don't know what that does. It might be at the workplace. There might, maybe you're on a senior level and there's an intern and you go and give a little advice, buy him a little lunch. Um, you don't know what that person's going to become. Uh, it might be your own child and you might go and think, oh boy, you know, I'm going to share some truths about the Bible with, this, with my little child. And you don't know what that person's going to do. Um, and so we have to understand that the impact is going to be huge. Um, thirdly, the third truth is this. Everyone needs encouragement. Everyone could use it. Everyone needs it. Here is the Apostle Paul. Not any of the other uh, uh, people in the Bible, but the Apostle Paul. Probably the most um, sought-after name that we name our kids, right, uh, is Paul. Because of him. Even he needed encouragement. He talks about this. They abandoned me. They left me. But you came for me. Onesiphorus, you came for me. Everyone needs this. You know, there was a commercial back in 1980. Some of you were around then. Some of you weren't, right? Um, but we all look the same, so it doesn't matter, okay? But, um, right, 1980. I remember watching this commercial, and I looked up the... Uh, you know, I looked it up again just to make sure. But it's probably the most popular commercial in the 80s, right? Um, it was the scene where Mean Joe Green, right, he had just finished the game. He had lost, and he's kind of hurt, and he's hobbling in this tunnel. And this little boy comes with a bottle of Coke. This is when Coke was never even in a, you know, plastic thing. It was in an actual bottle, which tastes so much better. Anyway, so and he comes, and he's like, hey, hey, Joe. And, and he gives him the bottle, and this, you know, hulk of a man there after his game is hobbling along and they have this intimacy and he takes the coke from this boy not he doesn't even take a sip but he chugs the whole thing down right and then and then he's ah and then the boy's looking at him like you know did i help you did i make a difference and uh mean joe green now takes his jersey off his shoulder and he gives him to the boy it was like thanks right it was one of those like uh, you know i'm gonna drink coke man forget pepsi you know it was one of those it has impacted me for the rest of my life i i I prefer Coke over Pepsi, right? And so, but what is it? Why was that so powerful? Why was that so uh, played for so long? And people remember that from you know, 30, 40 years ago. Because um, this picture is a picture of someone huge, strong, great, famous, is encouraged by this little boy. He makes a difference. When he is all by himself and he is struggling, the little boy comes with a Coke and he shares his Coke with him. And it was one of those marketing stories that really resonated with everyone that watched it. They say, I know what that's like. And I was sure appreciate if a little boy came and gave me a Coke and was by me and saying, oh, you know, I'm your fan, even though you, you lost and even if it's tough. Because everyone needs encouragement. And the fourth part is, is God uses normal human beings like you and me to encourage other people. Sometimes when we think of God encouraging us, we think, well, isn't it through some kind of sign, you know, a rainbow pop up while I'm driving or, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm you know, in the car and a certain song comes on. Isn't it like God and his, you know, uh, timing, doesn't he work that way? God actually just uses normal human beings. That's why he tells us to encourage one another, love one another. He uses people like us to go and encourage. You know, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, and 6, um, Paul says this, he, he talks about the hardships they were going through, right? It was so difficult. And he says, even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. 
we were afflicted at every turn. Right? This is the description. Fighting without. There was fighting without. There was fear within. And we've all been there where there's fear within, where we can't sleep at night, when there's, you know, the outside of our lives, there's fighting everywhere. There's it's strife and dif- uh, difficulties. But God, verse 6, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So God who comforts the downcast, how does he comfort him? He sends Titus. When Paul was downcast, how does God comfort him? He sends Onesiphorus. When the church needed someone to encourage, who did it say? Barnabas. The, one of the most spiritual things we can do, the, one of the, the most Christian things we can do is to encourage someone. We often think of um, spirituality as some kind of, oh, it's meditation, it's you know, prayer, it, it's me connecting personally with God. I think one of the most tangible spiritual things we can do is to go up to someone and encourage them. To practice what we know. Uh, it, it doesn't come easy, but that's one of the things that we can do. Now, these are the basics. Sometimes we don't think that everyone needs encouragement. Sometimes we don't think even the great people or who we think are doing so well need encouragement. I've met so many people now where on the outside they were always jovial, fun, happy, bright. And I, when I get to talk with them, you know, they just needed some help. They need encouragement. And I always assume, well, they're, they're doing so well. They have a title, behind, you know, or they, they look so happy. They're always so fun. They must be going so well. But when you sit down next to them, man, they need encouragement. And how important that is. So how do we do this? How do Onesiphorus do this? How can we kind of copy that? Another four parts here. Um, number one is how do we do this? We personally get involved. Personally. We, we go encourage someone in person. Um, it says here in verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Why? For he often refreshed me. He didn't send someone. He didn't just have a mere thought about encouraging. He didn't just say a prayer. He himself often refreshed me. And so the challenge for us is for us to go and encourage someone personally. And You know, the, if you are kind of a, a, a realistic person, you know, and and I, I have these thoughts. I can't change the world. What am I going to do? I can't feed the world. I can't help the world. How can I do this? And so we come to that thought, and then the conclusion is, well, since I can't change everyone, forget it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, we can't change everyone, but we could sure help one person. We could impact one person in big ways. And we have to get involved personally. And so if there is a person in our lives that we can help out, more than praying for them, more than thinking, oh, they encouraged me. We need to go in person and be by their side. Number two is, how does Onesiphorus encourage Paul? Number two, he encourages him often, it tells us, right? Verse 16, we could overlook this word. Verse 16, the second part, for he often refreshed me. So it wasn't a once kind of deal where he went to check in once and he's done. But it was like a lifestyle. He did it often. And I want to encourage all of us to be encouragers often. Refresh people often. Make it our lifestyle. Make it so that when someone thinks about you, when your cousin or nephew or your coworker thinks about you, they say, ah, oh, that person's, you know, I want to go, I like talking to her. She's so positive. You know, she, she makes me just feel better. I like talking to him. He always encourages me. Make it a lifestyle, all right? I, I think it's so important. 
Um, husbands, all the husbands here, I want to talk to the men. Be extra encouraging to your wives, right? Uh, women are different than men. They are a lot more sophisticated than we are, guys, okay? Um, we are simple, um, you know, and, and women, you know, women celebrate even a haircut. Like, they will hug each other over a haircut. I've seen people come to tears over someone's makeover. Guys, I, I'm like, what, what are you, why are you so excited? Were they that ugly before that you, or, you know, like, we, we, we process it differently. And so when we have someone who is so, uh, you know, delicate and intricate as a person, and the guys, uh, you know, and the next thing they're worried about is what are we going to eat, and that's about it. <laughs> we have to learn to say, oh, you know, honey, you look great. Honey, you know, you're, you're doing such a great job as a mom. Honey, you're such a great wife, and thank you so much. You're, you have to continue to say that. So all the men... I'm here. Let's continue to do that. Mom, the moms who are here, if there are any moms, you know, I want to encourage you to be an encouragement to your kids because it is so out of your zeal to raise up a good child, it is easy to pinpoint all their flaws. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Oh my gosh, you're so like this. You're so like that. Don't be shy. How do you tell someone not to be shy? Like, you know, it makes no sense. Don't be shy. Get up there and talk. Like, why don't you? I don't do that, right? Um, so be encouraging. It makes such a difference, right? Uh, make it a lifestyle. Thirdly, uh, we learn from this is don't give up on someone so easily. And I would actually just say don't give up on anyone, period. It says here in verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, this is Onesiphorus, he comes to Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Now, when he arrived in Rome, uh, the, the, the great city of Rome, he has the daunting task of trying to find one person, a needle in the haystack, literally. The greatest city around, and he's going to go try to find one person. Without a phone, without email, without texting, he's trying to find Paul. And so when he is looking for Paul, this process didn't take just a day or a half a day. This took weeks and months. So he didn't give up easily. And how many of us think, oh, you know, I give up on that person. You know what? You know, he's just lazy. He's going to be lazy. I just give up on him. Or her, you know, I'm just going to give up on him. You know, always flaky. What can I do? We, we have no right to give up on someone. And when Onesiphorus went after Paul, he had to go house to house and investigate where was he last, where was he at, who was he with, and he searched hard for him. He uh, searched for me earnestly, it says. In the NIV, he eagerly searched. Uh, New King James diligently searched to describe that. He went after someone. And maybe you know someone who is struggling spiritually. Maybe, you know, maybe they haven't been going to church. And, you know, don't just give up on them. Don't say, I give up on you, man. You know what? Whatever. You know, figure it out. No. You call them up. We go after them. Hey, how's it going, man? You know, I haven't seen you. You know, hey, you should join our group. You should come back to church. Um, this is our job. Right? And in the midst of all this, fourthly, is God is in the middle of everything. So, as I encourage, God uses it. It's not because I'm so great. It's because God is so great. And we're trying to point them back to God. Um, the last verse in verse 18 that we read. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know, very, uh, you know well. Uh, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. May the Lord grant him to find mercy on that day. May God ultimately be his source of encouragement. That he would find this kind of mercy. 
um, that he would be the reason why we do this. You know, I, some of you remember uh, there was a movie made uh, about the screenwriter Antoine Fisher. Antoine Fisher, a um, little story about him. He was born literally in an Ohio correctional facility. His mother gave birth to him in jail. His father had died two months before he was even born. So he, he started life in a jail. He gets now sent around in the foster care system where he gets sent to a home where they abuse him horrifically. And they talked about every which way he was abused, physically, verbally, psychologically, sexually, everything. He's abused. His uh, foster mom even was, um, he remembers his foster mom bragging to her friends how he, she beat him so bad that he was actually unconscious. And he would be tied often down in the basement. He had never received a Christmas gift for 10, 12, uh, 12 13 years. He had never received a, a compliment or, um, or, or, you know, an allowance or a, or a gift or anything. And so this young boy who is headed down life in a difficult way, one day meets someone that changes his life. And the person he meets is his teacher, Mrs. Prophet. And um, he meets his teacher in the fourth grade. Um, he failed and he was scheduled to repeat it. And he meets her. And this is what she says. To, uh, this is what he says about her. If there is ever such a thing as human beings who act as angels in our lives, Brenda Prophet was that for me. And so she now works with him. And she teaches him in the fourth grade, in the fifth grade, in the sixth grade. And he says this, he says, if self-esteem was what you used to fill up like a tank of gas, the Pickett's or his foster family had siphoned mine out to nothing. But Mrs. Prophet helped change all of that. And he talks about a specific time in the fifth grade where he had to give an oral presentation in front of the class and he stuttered horribly. He felt like he just completely failed it. And she pulls him aside and he said this was one of those moments that changes life. He remembers this, where she pulls him aside and says to him, I'm proud of you. I want you to know that I really struggled over promoting you, but I'm so glad that I did. You're doing very well this year. And he says about that, her honest, careful words are the equivalent of lightning bolts and thunderclaps. Outside, I shyly accepted her praise, but inside, I'm flying with the birth of a revelation. It's the first time I've ever realized that there is something I can do to make things different for myself. Not just for me, but anyone. This lesson is a piece of gold I'll keep tucked in my back pocket for the rest of my life. Changed him. Now he is a successful screenwriter in Hollywood. A screenwriter in Hollywood. Think about that. There's a power in encouraging someone. And I want us to be a, a community of people where we encourage one another. We don't have to pinpoint all the negatives. They know that already. I want your family to be you to start a legacy where this is a, an affirming, encouraging family. Where you change the trajectory of the next generation of lives, your spouse's life. Their confidence is getting stronger in the Lord because of you. And I want you to change and be an encouraging person when it comes to the gospel work. When it comes to church and when it comes to doing things for God and the church activities and church life that you're here to say, I want to encourage the people that do so much. I want to help them. And let us be used in this way. Because we don't know how God could use what little we have for his purpose. All right.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we all need encouragement. We all need the Onesiphoruses, the, the Titus types. We need um, those people who will come alongside of us when we are down and out, when we are in uh, the dungeons of life. We need someone to come alongside of us. Use us, Lord God, to do that for others. Whether it's an outreach to the community or whether it's someone that we're related to, that we could speak those words and we know the impact that it could have for us and the people around us. God, help us to do that. Help us to share that love. Help us to be spiritual people in our encouragement. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name.